Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes. I'm Mark Hayes, joined this week for episode number 93 by one of the greatest fubbers of all time. He didn't even know what it was until five minutes ago. Mike Clayton, you are a fubber. I am. We were watching Breakfast TV for our sins. Breakfast TV. Who watches Breakfast TV? I'm not sure, but I don't think they're the same ones who listen to podcasts, so I think they're mutually exclusive. Ignoring people at the expense of you. On your phone at the expense of people. Is Deb what upset is, at you about he that? He hates me for doing that. I'm the worst at it. You are the worst I'm at the it. Worst. I'm the worst. Fubber. Now, Fubber. You learn new things every day. And that voice you heard interject there, you couldn't hold on any longer. He's got that much to tell us. <laughs> Justin Falconer, who I think, you, you, no, nah, you're too antisocial to be a fubber. Yeah. Yeah, I don't use my phone. I just blatantly ignore people. <laughs> we've, we've got an action-packed 93 coming up for you. To be honest with you, I don't know where it's going to go. It hasn't been beautifully <laughs> For something planned. completely different? Yeah, I, I apologise for Andy. He's been called away, uh, so you have to listen to me steer the ship again. And I think we're going to steer it straight into the, I guess, well, it's reluctantly a hot topic for me. I know you two want to talk about the Players' Championship. It's Players' Week. Uh, we're heading to TPC Sawgrass. Clates, I'm sure you've got thoughts about the course, but um, invariably this week we're going to be talked. We're going to start talking about should this or should this not be the fifth major? And if I have drop off in the middle of that sentence and snore, you'll have to apologise. <laughs> I apologise in advance. Well, John McEnroe, commentating at the Australian Open this year, said there is no such thing as a fifth major, and it should stay at that. Except with the exception that, and the last thing the world of golf needs is another major in America. So if the Players' Championship, if Jay Monaghan decided that it was going to be a rotating major around the world, then I would agree, yep, yep. that's the fifth major. Because the PGA should do it, but they're not going to do it. Yep. And clearly the Players' Championship's not going to do it either. But if, if they rotated one major around the world, that would be a great tournament. I agree with that. I feel like the only people that want this to be a fifth major are the tour and the tournament. Um well, they've done a great job of drumming this up to be like a story, but does anyone else want a fifth major? I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, it is a, a fantastic, I'm not going to say it's a fantastic course, but it is a fantastic, no, it's a good course. It's a really fantastic good course. tournament venue. Yeah, and, really the, and the players themselves, as opposed to the tournament, the players, the players themselves love playing. Well, this is a home, this is a home game for so many of them at Ponavedra, just near Jacksonville in Florida. Um, it, it's, I'll start it. It's embarrassing. Damn that the PGA are pushing this every time. And they'll, some of them will say, yes, we want it. And some of them will say, oh, it's not us. It's everyone talking about it. Load of crap. This is the PGA making a cash grab for something that's in their control and in the major realm. Yeah, the PGA Tour, not the PGA. Absolutely. Sorry, the PGA, US yeah. PGA Tour. Yeah. 
But they don't own any of the majors. That's, no, the, and that's yeah, the, that, which that's is their the problem. Gripe is that Augusta have theirs and the RNA and the USJ have theirs and the PJ have theirs. And I mean, historically, if you were starting again, the, it would be the it would absolutely be a major. The, the players, players yeah, absolutely, it's the best field in golf. It's a great course, but you know, I guess Augusta throws the one course negative out of the window because it's obviously great to play at Augusta every year. But majors should rotate. I think the British Opens. Got the best rotation. So, would you have four majors? Would you ditch the US PGA Championship if you were starting again? No, yeah. you'd ditch the. Well, you'd ditch the Masters, arguably. What? Whoa, there's a controversy. That's hot. I didn't know we were. <laughs> uh, I didn't know we were going there, Clates. Well, you'd ditch are, the Masters. Well, it's a limited, limited field invitation with thirty bucks who can't win. Wow, we. So the one that the most started started long after the other three. True. True. But the one that the um, of course I'm kind of playing devil's advocate a bit here, yeah, but, a little bit, you know. But didn't start after the players. No, but started long after the two opens and the PGA. But you're going to ditch the Masters for the players. Well, no, you ditch the PGA. Well, you would, I'd ditch the. Well, no, you don't <laughs> ditch any of them because Ben Hogan never played the Players Championship. So yeah. to be a major, it's got to be something that's the great players have all played in, and not all of them played in the Masters because. Obviously, it started in 1930. So all the great players pre-1930 never got a chance to play the Masters, but they all got to play the other three. What if we had something like a legitimate, as opposed to the commercial versions, a legitimate world match play championship, and that was something that the, the great players had played, and we ditched the USPGA championship? Yeah, well, the TV hates match play, and you, and you really got the you really got the Palmer-Nicholas final or the Woods-Mickelson final or the... yeah. That's the problem with match play. As much, match play is great at the Ryder Cup. Leave match play for teams' events, I think. Wow. I feel like the that's kind of maybe the road you're going down is what I think. If this was like a revolutionary, super exciting, completely different tournament that was just so popular, then if it was match play, for example, then yeah, like if it's if it's something new and different, make it a major and let's figure out which the four majors are. But it's just, it's like the best field of the year, sure. It's a really good PJ Tour tournament. I don't know why it needs to become a major. I mean, it's no one really. You don't look forward to the players. You look forward to the Masters, and you look forward to the Open. You don't. I just. I don't see the point. Like, why are we doing? Why are we talking about this? Why are we doing it? And, no. and the world of golf, love everyone loves the Open Championship. Yep. Everyone loves the Masters. They love the yep. US Open to, to a lesser extent, probably. Yep. No one has any love for the PGA except yep. for the club president in America mm. and the players who win it, Wayne Grady, and you know, the other players who won the PGA. Um, Jason no one loves the players' championship. Really, it's a really good tournament. They respect it, but there's no. But I, I'm convinced if if there, if anyone had the guts to take them well, either of those two events and take them around the world, everyone loves that event. Everyone loves it if it goes to Royal Birkdale and Royal Melbourne and Hirono and mm. you know the Jockey Club in Argentina. It goes to the great courses all around the world. Then everyone falls in love with that tournament. Yeah, but there's, there's never going to be any passion for the USPGA, the players' championship. In terms of passion, how much people care about a tournament, they probably care about the players above the PGA because the 17th hole is so notorious and infamous and And the hype on, the, the hype on the this hype one and, is... And it's got a great feel. I mean, you can't deny the quality. The feel is incredible. Yeah. I'm still fascinated by the fact that if you're making the major, uh, uh, the, the players a major, you're ditching the masters. I'm I'm, no, I'm just throwing that out there. Isn't <laughs> because it's a, because it's a you know, Bobby Jones started off as an invitational for his friends on one course. There are a whole bunch of guys who can't win it every year. Mm. The player, every one of the players can win the tournament this way. Every single guy can win that tournament. Yep, yeah. Craig Perks won it. You know, and 
terrific player, but he wasn't by a long shot the best player in the field that week. Well, he was. He was the best player in the field that week, but in terms of rankings, he wasn't. Well, I'm actually really – I couldn't care less for the players. It doesn't bother me one way or another, but I am really glad, given its um, large nature as a tournament, that it's back in March. Um, it's in a spot where it should have been for a while. Uh, I think it started in March originally, uh, back in the day. Um, that was when it was scary. The wind, the wind made the 17th hole much more fearsome in March than it was in – Which we might yeah, see this apparently. week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of – I saw Bob Tway – that was the thing about Bob Tway somewhere on Twitter yesterday. He came to the 17th hole in sixth place and he left in 66th place. <laughs> <laughs> he made it 12, <laughs> which is kind of – is that a good hole when someone can do that? Because you know he wasn't hitting shots about that bad. That's why I'm surprised to hear you say it's a great course. Well, you can't it's more than judge one on one hole. It's, it's, but it's, it's fairly important. Strategically brilliant. You know, it's the angles and the yeah. the, 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 the thought-making process that goes into playing that golf course. You've played? Terrific. Assuming? No, I've never played. I've walked around a bunch okay. of times. No, it's a really good course. That's oh. in Florida. So it's a, it was in a Florida swamp. So Pete died, didn't have a whole lot to yeah. work with. You know, have, flat, have you marshy swamp. Have you played it, Mark? Oh, I have played it. Oh, really? I have, as a matter of fact, Justin, yes. Yeah. So How'd you go? Know I've actually heard this story. No, I can't I regret bringing it up. I regret, bringing it, I regret it bringing it up. I can't say it again, except two on the 17th. Two on the 17th. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Frog in the throat. Uh, anyway, let, let's... Uh, Give me over under the year 2040. Oh, do we still have the four, same four majors? Yeah, and we're still having the same discussion. But Jeff Ogilvie made a good point on another podcast. He said they should stop talking about it. They should stop. Not ever mention it. And at some point, someone will say, this is a fifth major. But if they keep ramming it down everyone's throat, everyone will <clears> keep <throat> pushing back at it. Just shut up about it. Yeah, I'm, Just play. And I'm chief in that. Yeah. I'm the victim of that because it really rubs me the wrong way, yeah, so okay. I push back harder. Yeah, just it's, stop. It, Just play. It's been a good little stretch, like you said, moving it back to March as well. It's been... A really fun six weeks of tournaments, like yeah. Riviera with Genesis, and then there was one in between. Well, well there was a new Roger Bannister, wasn't there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Genesis, that, we'll pro- the 2019 Genesis will probably forever be remembered for JB, JB Holmes. Yeah. But yeah. then there was like the Honda Classic last week, API, and then this week, the players. Uh, it's been fun. And then obviously the Masters is looming. So it's been a good sort of month stretch. And, and we should uh, make de- reference, and you're talking Arnold Palmer Invitational there, we should make reference to. Uh, couple of things that arose from that tournament. Firstly, Francesco Molinari. Um, the biggest moment of his life. 60 f- biggest moment of his life, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, in fairness to Paul Hazing, <laughs> kind of live TV, yeah, on the spur of the moment. Like, oh. yeah, I might think. Walk <laughs> us through that, Clates. So well, yeah, he holds a 44-foot yeah, yeah, putt. At that point, he looked like he was going to win if he two-putted because there were no birdies in the last two holes. And the guys behind were too far behind to really make them up. Like, uh, you know, they... Like you can eagle or birdie sixteen, but seventeen is impossible. I don't think there wasn't one birdie at seventeen. And anyway, Azinger calls it the, the biggest moment of his life. Like, <laughs> I'm sure he, as soon as he said it, well, I'm not. Do you reckon? You know, as soon yeah. as he said it, he realised. Yeah. Well, I assume he did. You would have to kind of be pretty yeah. unaware not to realise that he'd hit, hit, hit an iron shot to eight for it at the last hole. Can't see him birdie it to win the Open Championship. <laughs> But um, uh, only, zinger, only eight months ago. A zinger from the zinger, one very, of the all times. Very funny. Yeah, so great, and I think it pointed out that, not that the Arnold Palmer hasn't had a great history of um, producing good winners because people had pre- previously been tuning up for the Masters, but Francesco Molinari is a great winner. Uh, from an Australian perspective, Mark Leishman finished in a share of 23rd at four under, um, and 
unfortunately in the last round, but otherwise fantastic result from Aaron Baddeley again, who's really on a, a nice little run of form here in the United States. Tied 17th, um, had a disappointing last round, 74, uh, after he was runner-up at the Puerto Rico Open, but he's uh, played his way into the, the field this week at the Players. So he lost his card last year, didn't he? Lost his card. Had had partial status based on previous victories. So he's has he got it back already? I'm pretty next sh- year or well he's played his way into the players championship field with without um without a win. So how much has he made this year? So has he made enough to be exempt for next year? I assume he has, right? Uh he's right now on sixty first in the FedEx Cup rankings. So probably not he's not enough. safe yet, but he'd be heading in the right direction. Banked another hundred and twenty three thousand at Arnold Palmer. I mean he's just he's raking it in at the moment. You kind of still think he's a young player and he's been out there for 20 years yeah. since he won the Australian mm. Open. Yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable. Time, isn't it? it really is. Um, but he's, he's, we spoke to him on the podcast for the Road to the Australian Open series last year, and he was, you know, still fresh and fighting. And he said he'd come back and, you know, hit it back hard early in the year. And you sort of, oh, yeah, good on you, Aaron. You know, no worries, bads, good on you. But he has. He really has. Yeah. Um, and he's, and he's just, he's played his way into the Players' Championship in basically in six weeks of golf. That's a, a, a great effort from someone who had, Plus he's Minimal a, status. Plus, he's the coolest looking guy out there now with no logos on his hat or his shirt. He looks you know, in, in an era when, well, especially the LPJ players look like Formula One drivers. They do. And all Chubby Chandler's players with their nine <laughs> different logos on their shirts. And that's a, it's great to see someone with a blank hat and a blank shirt. It is. What <laughs> do you have all these kids' names on the front of his, or initials on the front of the, yeah, he did, yeah. Front yeah. Of the bag? All the Does Jays. he have a plain bag as well, or is he? Is he He's, he's with Ping for a while. He but, was Ping, and then that ended. I don't know what he is now. No, I'm not sure. He's been with everybody, hasn't he? Anyway, I suppose the anyway. big the big news that arose from the Arnold Palmer Invitational actually happened uh, within six holes of it starting. From an Australian perspective, on Thursday night, Thursday morning in in Florida, of course, Jason Day withdrew with a back injury. Um, <laughs> it's hard to even know what to say about that at the moment, um, except to say that he has declared himself fit and ready to play the players, as is Tiger Woods with a neck injury. Um, Jason Day was actually at Sawgrass today uh, and said he um, felt great, my back feels a lot better, and I'm ready to go. So He'd said he'd heard it the week before, is that right? Practicing or something, and spent the whole week trying to get up to play the um, last week, the Arnold Palmer. Yeah, he didn't play a practice round, I don't think, did he? Just no. Turned up and, and then he took played six holes and hit in the water at some 17. painkillers or whatever and just tried to get up and hope that when he walked out there and started playing, it would feel all right, but it didn't. So so some super sleuth photographed him and his family with the kids and stuff at oh, yeah. uh, Disney, Disney World, World or Orlando and um, proceeded to sl- slaughter him on social media. And there's been, I'd say, two distinct camps there. One is, look, give the bloke a chance. He has to move and do something. Yeah. And the other is, are you kidding me? Taking Going to Disney World, <laughs> Disney World during the Arnold Palmer Invitational is very disrespectful. Which, which camp do you sit in, Clates? Now the first one, I mean, if you pull out of the tournament, you can do what you want after on Saturday or something. Oh, great. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, Let him go to Disney with that. I mean, he's not like he's... No, I'm in the who cares. I just... Yeah, no, it's who cares. But he's the modern there day... There are plenty of people who who cared. <laughs> well, they need to get a life. He's the um, modern day Pat Cash, isn't he? Like, very physical game. Um, strong, incredibly fit, always injured. Seemingly not always injured, but very often injured. He... he... He is, we're probably going to reference F1 a few times here, he's your Formula One car. Yeah. When he's up and about and ticking along nicely, he looks like a, you know, bulletproof. But, but his game's very, he hits the ball very hard. Very hard. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, just play a, go 
watch a video of Peter Thompson hit the ball and mm. kind of just a little bit of that. Just 98%. I mean, Kel Nagel and Peter Thompson, yep. Samson, they were never going to get injured. Those guys never, well, you know, they were never injured. That's very true. So he, he he's going to play, uh, we understand, at, at Pontevedra. So that's great. Uh, $12.5 million US dollars, um, which is another reason why the PGA Tour rams it down our throat. Uh, Greg Norman, Scott Day, Steve Elkington twice, Australian winners. Maybe if they were serious, they'd put up $20 million. Well, I, you can't buy major status, can you? Well, ask Mr. Evian. Well, I'm sure they can afford it. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> Mr. Evian. I mean, why, why wouldn't they get start? How much do the players at the Australian, at the Grand Slam tennis play for? 55 What's, mil, I'm pretty sure. The total prize pool of the Australian What's Open the this year. the total prize purse for the Men's Australian Open Singles Championship? Uh, uh, well, the total pool for all tournaments, all events at the Australian Open tournament, I, f- I might be wrong here. I think it was sixty-seven million. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's fifty-five. Is I don't know if that's each though. No, that could be right. No, there's total, so it was like thirty. It's way more than thirteen million. It's roughly thirty oh, yeah. million for men and thirty million for yeah, women. Well, why aren't the, why aren't the two put the prize me up to the equivalent of the tennis majors? Put the hand in their pocket; they can afford it. <laughs> well, that's that's very true. So five Australians in the field this week. Adam Scott, Aaron Baddeley, Cameron Smith, Mark Leachman, and the four, uh, Adam Scott, Baddeley, Smith, Leachman, and Day, of course. So um, are we holding out any hopes for an Australian victory there? It's possible. Well, every, the nature of the courses, which is why it's a good course, is that all sorts of players are won there. Now, it's not a course that's dominated, like, as Augusta is by, you know, Power hitters and high ball hitters and you know everyone everyone's won at the place. Every all sorts of players have won there. Well, I've heard you players, and hookers, you and, low ball hitters, high ball hitters. Probably. You and Huggy in particular have talked about this before, and this is this is not about me, but I'm I'm a chopper. I had seventy nine there. I think it's an easy it's an easy course to score well as a chopper. I don't think like you know what I'm saying. You guys say Royal Melbourne, well, uh, you, you could you you could have a train wreck on the last two holes if you're a chopper. Hmm. True. But you go, you go ten ten on the last two holes easily if you if you were a twenty handicap. Mm. I just I, I think it's not a bad course. I actually no, enjoy I it's it. It's a really good course. Yeah. Really good. But if the marker that you guys put down is that average players can play it, do you think that's true or not? No, I would have thought the opposite. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, just, mainly because of the last two holes. But there's plenty of water in part. I mean, 13 is the part three. I mean, yeah, no, there's plenty of water. You can dump it in the water at 13 and 14. And I mean, Tiger in the water there, famously, a few years ago. And so I would have... So uh, close to the cool... And it depends what they do with the greens. If the greens are like they were at Bay Hill and... Yeah. Mind you, they were talking about how hard and fast the greens were at Bay Hill. We played a senior... Bruce Green, senior pro-am at Royal Melbourne. And I promise you, the greens at Bay Hill weren't harder and weren't faster than the greens were at Royal Melbourne they cranked last them, Friday. They cranked them for Bruce Green. Wow. They were like... <laughs> I thought they were crazy. <laughs> and I saw Peter Lonard a couple of days ago. I said, what about those greens at Royal Melbourne? He said, what are you talking about? They were fantastic. That's what Australian golf should be. So we've, slowed it, we've slowed Australian golf down and dumbed it down. So we need to go back to that. And I'm like, really? But How fast were they running? Oh, 14 easily. Wow. And I, I played with a member. We had a great, it's a great time. And I love playing Royal Melbourne. I played with a member who said, I haven't fixed a pitch mark on this golf course for eight years. <laughs> and literally, there are no, that's how hard and hard those greens are now. There's, there are no pitch marks on. They're beautiful apart, but I kind of think it's like just tone it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between 12 and 14. And 12 is kind of fast and sensible when they're that hard. So the question of the more interesting question will be how they set it up for the President's, President's Cup. Cup. Yeah, What's the best way to set it up? What do you think? So, well, I would, I might, tendency is to think really hard and actually quite slow 
So I think the international team is going to be full of a bunch of guys who are not used to playing greens out. I mean, that's a massive generalization, but because yeah. they mostly all play in America. So they, but I think the Americans are probably better at putting really fast greens than the international, not the Australians, but the, but the, the international team, the Koreans, the Japanese, the Chile or, you know, or South Africans or whoever are playing it. I kind of think hard and slow-ish, but hard and 15 is no advantage to the internationals. I agree with that. And I, I fell for it last time in 2011. Um, that the American team wouldn't be able to play this. Well, that was a letter of complete rubbish. They came and adapted in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, I watched Jim Furyk. I'm going to get the numbers of the holes wrong, Clates, but I'm just going to say one east. Yeah. Because I, I don't know the... The one the, over the hill, yeah, a little short one over the hill, yeah. Short part four over yeah. the hill. And he, and he, in effect, short-sighted himself. Um, I'm not sure. It might have been the 11th, maybe, in, in the tournament, the way the course, the way it was set up. Yeah, I don't know. What, it, I can't remember the number, a, but it's the third on the proper composite, which no, which we haven't played for twenty years. Yeah, well, it's it's one east, and uh, he was left of the bunker, left of the green, and the pin was in the back left corner. Okay, so yeah. And now I'm thinking, oh, he's cooked. And this is a great example of not knowledge, no knowledge of the course. Um, Americans in trouble, going to be like this all day. Well, he played. He played just an extraordinary shot for someone who'd played one practice round. So use the back slope to bring use the, the ball back. Back slope right. on the as, right, as opposed to a back stop. He used the back slope, <laughs> bank the ball back to the hole. Correct. Yeah. And and, and Furyk's got great hands. I mean, I've potted him his swing on this and his ability to win majors. But he's got a um, you know an amazing short game and hands are you know brilliant. They're always in the right spot at the bottom of his swing, and he, he was it was awesome. And I thought straight away, I thought, oh, I've been spruiking this publicly that the Americans are going to have no clue here, yeah. and he just out Australian the Australians. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. So I'm I'm not in that camp of setting it up. It's going to make a licked not a lick, but not much of a difference. Comes, but I think it would be a mistake to think that you make those greens really hard and that would advantage the international team because I don't think that's true. Mm, no, fair enough. Uh, okay, well, so let's let's just quick, quickly talk before we take our first break. I'm just still trying to um, drum up a couple of guests as we speak here. Uh, Simon Magdulski, the rules boss from Golf Australia, is going to pop in. Uh, just chit-chatting with Zach Murray here on text message. He's got a big morning this morning. We are going to try to get him, but it's looking a bit tough at the moment. If we can manage that, I will. I uh, can't make any promises at the moment, but for now, let's talk about, we switch our attention, we'll stick it on the um, the main men's tours of the world. Justin Harding had a success in Qatar, uh, the South African, remarkably didn't have a European tour card, but that's his fifth win, uh, would you believe, his fifth win in the past year and a bit, twice on the Sunshine Tour, twice in Asia, uh, nearly won the Vic Open. Great prediction by Ali Whitaker. Uh, but he did bob up with a great final round to win in Qatar. The story there from an Australian perspective was... Everyone. Everyone, yeah. So there was so much going on. Dean Lawson from uh, from Curlewis, my club in near Geelong, at a hole-in-one, his second Another of, the, one. of the short European tour so far this year. Uh, remarkably the same club, an eight-iron. Mm. Stuck it in on, the I think, the 17th there in Qatar. Uh, the next day, Jake McLeod. Jake McLeod, talk us through that one. one. Had a hole in one on the third, I think it was. Uh, so we'd had two in less than twenty four hours, and he won one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars US. Just what was that for? Was there just just a cash prize? Yeah, I think so. Which wow. is pretty handy. It was oh. funny when Dan made his hole in one. They I actually had the coverage on at home, and they were playing the. They did an interview. They chatted with him afterwards, and it was just like, oh, would you hit same club? Blah 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 blah. And he turned around and there was sort of some signage behind the tea box and it was like, a, it was sponsored by a hotel or something. 
And he's like, yeah, I turned around to my caddy and said, oh, I want a hotel. <laughs> so funny. He's a funny man, Dan. He's a very funny man. He's uh, going well, isn't he? He's going really well. Um, and it's great to see Jake McLeod not overawed at all. And at one stage, I turned on the TV on Saturday evening and uh, Nick Cullen was on a bit of a birdie festival, hit the front, and he was in front of Minwoo Lee and Jake McLeod. Uh, so Australia was running one and T2. So was, Minwoo made the right decision by complete accident to go and play in Europe instead of web.com by finishing fourth in Saudi Arabia, fifth in Perth, 25th this week. He's all, he's almost made enough money to get his card He's in closer, Europe. but he's still got a bit of work to do. But yes, you're right. He has made the right call without yeah, a doubt. I'm not sure why you want to play the web.com tour over Europe when you're playing for... Mm. I mean, he's already made more money than oh, yeah. 10th guy on the web.com tour play all year probably. He was extraordinary this week. He, Mark and I were in Adelaide and we woke up and looked at the scores and he... Shot three over, I think it was, in the first round. 75. He was 110th after the first round. Came out the next day and shot 66. And suddenly he was 50-odd, 40-odd, I think, on the standing, something like that. And then came out the next day and shot another 67. So he'd gone from T110th to 20th uh, in two days. And he, McLeod, uh, Dan Lawson as well, were all sort of around the mark at that point, but just got overtaken by a bunch of guys. Well, there was um, a nine-way tie for second. Yeah, in the end. Which is... They were sort of halfway through their Sunday rounds, and there was about 20 blokes above them on the leaderboard, which is like yeah. a bit alarming, but yeah, um, a great effort by all of them. And the other one was Luke Herbert as well. He made the cut and fished T48, so 69, 73, 70, 74. So not his best work, but like the fact that Lucas can make a cut now, and we're like, oh, okay, we sort of gloss over it, mm. sort of says how good he's going at the moment. So Blakey, Martin Blake, who the regular co-host on Inside the Ropes. From Golf he, Channel. I think he's from Golf Channel. Yeah. I think I've definitely seen his name on the uh, Golf Channel screens before. Uh, he was intimating to me, and I'm not sure of the, the factual basis for this yet, but um, he's, I'll trust his maths because it seems a little bit odd here. Sorry, Blakey. But he's, he reckons that he's got uh, 200,000 euros so far this year, and I have not got a computer screen in front of me, and he reckons that's already enough to be uh, well in excess of the 110th player from last year's total Is for the year. No, midway? it's not enough. 200,000. 200,000 euros? No, last year it was like... That's why I put a bit of a... Last year it was about... 375, I think. Was it? Yep. Let me check. Well, okay, so I'll scrap scrap Blakey's maths. I knew there was a bit of a question mark on it. Those Rolex events, those $7 million events, and the major, which bump it up a lot. Um, So it's, um, let's just stick a fork in that. If we can actually edit that out, I'll be much much relieved, and Blakey won't send me a nasty text message later. Uh, (laughs) But he's going very well, Minwoo, is basically the bottom line. I... um, He's up, he's up to 320 races to buy points. So we said a couple of weeks ago he needed 420 yeah, so he's from his seven yeah, events. Yeah. So he got about 40, 50 odd from the weekend. Okay. So he's got a couple of events left. And he said if he got to that mark, then he can have extra exemptions. Um, and keep pushing. Yeah, on top of his seven. So. Okay. Uh, so I think Clatesy had committed earlier on to Panama, as we mentioned on this program a few weeks ago. Um, he It was just a longstanding commitment. Um, so well, he should have played the Vic Open. Had he, that, that wouldn't have counted as one of his seven. That's right, because he could have played as an Australian tour yeah, player yeah. or an invite. That was a, potentially a mistake, but anyway. Yeah. So it, had he done that, who knows where he'd be? But for the, for a lot, we, I did mention at the time. I think this would be his best alternative, and it's definitely proving that way so far. I think um, there's so many examples right up to Brooks Kepka of people who have played their way back to the US uh, it recently, and obviously in in past history, there's countless versions not least of whom is Greg Norman, um, you know, to have, yeah, it's just, you know, there's, it's just an endless list of people who have done it the other way. Yeah, so Web.com's a graveyard for 
potential graveyard for unless you can get out of that. Yeah. You get stuck down there, it's no good at all. Anyway. And, and then ultimately, you're a professional golfer. The idea is to make money. Why would you play for what they're playing for on the web.com when you can play for what they're playing for in Europe? I mean, clearly, it's a web.com is a year long qualifying school for the US tour. And obviously, you play for more money on the PGA tour than you do in Europe. But if you're a good enough player to play well on the PGA tour, you'll make the top 50 in the world by playing well in Europe. Just, just looking at his numbers on the European tour website here, Min Woo, third for stroke average, 69.9. He's number one for driving distance, seventh for putts per green in regulation, eighth for putts per round, and tenth for Sansos. That'll work. Not a massive sample size, but numbers don't lie. No, absolutely. It's crazy. So let's, before we uh, take our first break and welcome back uh, a regular into the show, Simon Magdulski, um, let me just quickly wrap up some of the other international stuff and we'll touch more on the Australian uh, results and domestic amateur results and international amateur results within Australia, if that makes sense, uh, in the last segment. But for now, David McKenzie, uh, favourite of Clates, uh, finished T10 uh, in the – what's it called, Clates? It's the – Hogue. 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 The Hogue, Hogue Classic. Classic. So at Newport Beach in uh, California. Champions Tour. Yeah, on the Champions Tour. Kirk Triplett, who used to play a lot in Australia. Yeah. So Dave, we'll come to that in a second. Dave McKenzie finished at six under, good enough for a share of 10th. He's up to 40th in the Schwab Cup, the time-honoured Schwab Cup. It's his first top 10 in his fourth start of the season, but going beautifully. And as I said, I will get Dave McKenzie on the podcast uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Clates, there was an unbelievable thing there. You mentioned Kirk Triplett winning, but an unbelievable thing in that tournament happened in the first round of a 54-hole tournament yeah. for a bloke who went on to nearly get the chocolates. Who played in Australia a lot too, Jeff Maggot, mm. who had a five foot, six foot putt, whatever it was, sixes tops, birdie on the eighteenth hole, <laughs> round one, five putted without backhanding one. He was a bit careless, you'd have to say, a bit but careless. He just kept walking around slapping it, but oh, but he wasn't quick. Like no, he set up properly over each putt. A couple just, of them, he just. <sighs> well, I think he got to the point. Well, I can't miss this, and he just <laughs> he did that twice. And funny story about though, we opened a course in. China last year, and we met the guy who sponsors Pacific Links as a Chinese company. You join, and you can play their network of courses throughout the world. And Ernie Elsa's their guy. And the chairman introduced Ernie at the press conference, and he said, Ernie, thank you very much for being here. Just want to say that when you six-putted that green at Augusta, it was very good for me because every time you missed the putt, my logo was on the television. <laughs> <laughs> and Ernie was getting paid enough to laugh about it and be very kind about it, but it was an all-time classic line. And very, very nice of you, Ernie. Every time you missed, my logo was on the television. <laughs> Which just goes to prove your time-honoured saying, Clayton, isn't it? Every shot, every golf- shot makes somebody happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah, an amazing thing for Jeff Maggot there. Extraordinary. If you watch the footage of that, you'll just you'll shake your head considering he lost by one. I lost think. by one shot. Lost we came out lost by one shot. Five parts on the first and the first but on the eighteenth and the first round. The cards fall how they fall. If he hold yep. that part, does he go and shoot sixty three the next day, or does he just go out completely mad and not, doesn't care at all? He's teeing off off the tenth hole at the back of the field and. That's true. Goes and shoots a crazy round. And- <laughs> so there was no play in the web.com tour this week. Um, just as a wrap-up of where things stand from the really positive side of things for Australia, Rian Gibson 17th and Cam Percy 16th at the first break in that tour. And obviously the top 25 go through on and get their cards. And something a little bit off-Broadway, which I know you love it when I go off-Broadway. Big fan. Uh, the, the third global qualifying tournament for the China Tour PGA uh, went down in Thailand this week. 
and there were a handful of players received partial status from Australia. Charlie Dan, the recently turned professional from Queensland. James Grierson, who's still amateur uh, from New South Wales, great young fella. Uh, Dale Williamson, Aaron Wilkin, and Chris Wood are all received partial status for the first half of the US Tours China PGA Tour season. So. Shout out Dale Williamson, my best mate's little cousin from Sydney. So. Is that right? Yeah. What else he got on Dale? Uh, he actually played in the at the Vic Open this year when we had the mixed group on the Saturday morning. Oh, he was the guy who was in that group? Yeah, that was that guy. Charlie Dan. Was Charlie Dan Olivia Klein's ex-boyfriend? We try not to go into personal matters <laughs> on this so, uh, show, Clates, but yes. So they're in China. So China's, yeah, that's a... <laughs> That's the first step on the ladder, isn't it? At China, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, China to Web. So to PGA what, is Bryden McPherson still playing there? He's still. Uh, we, we haven't had a chance yet. We literally have been, as you can tell by this show, very disorganised in the <laughs> podcast world this year. But uh, we will get him on soon, and we'll, we'll figure get, out yeah. where he is. Because yeah. uh, I thought this. He, there are other tournaments coming up in the qualifying series, but he may already have status. I think I'm I sure think he, he does. So, yeah. so he'll he'll probably come up um, a little bit further down the line. All right, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk to one of the biggest names in, uh, oh, well. World golf. World golf? Yeah. You reckon? Sure. I'm going to go with uh, in the, Oak, in the, in the world of golf rules. In the world of golf rules. The world of golf rules. He's just rolling his eyes, not making eye contact with me at the moment. <laughs> Simon Magdulski will join us after the break. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Very, very loose ad break we just took there, but uh, we did manage to sneak in Simon Magdulski, who is the Senior Manager at Golf Australia of Play Management and Regulations. Welcome aboard, Simon. Hazy, it is terrific to be back with you again. You... Justin, how are you guys? Well, we're great. We're sound excellent. Very, sound very defensive right at the beginning. He has, hasn't he? <laughs> he's very defensive. Yeah, he's loose when he walked in here, but now he's just put up the wall. He's going to sort of right, bat, right. bat for five days and force a dull draw. Normally, no, no. this is this is always the highlight of my week. As I've said in the past, <laughs> this is the biggest ticket in golf, so I don't want to waste a second. Right. Well, let's all right. Well, let's normally we'll we try up. not to sit Simon right next to Clade, so today could be interesting. <laughs> Uh, no mention of the word rules in your title. Uh, no, we're, we're rebranding at, uh, at oh, Golfers Australia. It's all about building the brand. Oh, really? How's your brand going? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, no more, that's, it, more, that's more for you to no be one, providing me with. No one knows on. who you are, so that's mean, that means you're doing a really good job. <laughs> Take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, that means you're doing a really good job. <laughs> Except for all of the people <laughs> who keep emailing me. But, uh, <laughs> oh. What are the most of your emails? What are they about? Uh, most of the emails I receive, there are a lot of rules queries that come in, people wanting clarifications on various things. On um, specifics? Uh, yeah, the, um, you know, in, in all seriousness, it's a bit of a left field question, um, but there's a lot of major projects going on at the, at the moment, a lot of world handicapping sort of stuff. So there's a lot of international stuff that comes in, um, a lot of rules stuff that goes to policy making. Um, a lot of equal opportunity stuff at the moment. We've mm. just released um, guidelines for all clubs around um, obligations, 
um, for compliance with uh, equal opportunity legislation that came in back in 1984. So that was one of my major projects. Um, so a lot of different things across an array of areas. You would have, of course, heard all about that on Inside the Ropes last week when you were listening. Uh, I was probably, as it happens, uh, at World Handicap System meetings uh, in a colder part of the world. So oh. um, I, I, it was one that I missed, unfortunately. Did it, all, did it all start with the Royal Queensland case? Was that where it started? Uh, no, look, to be honest, where it started was um, the the club practice, some clubs seeking to prevent access to golf courses um, of people who held virtual handicaps, social handicaps, virtual handicaps that were from affiliated clubs. Um, and we were asked questions around whether or not that actually complied with the law. So we got legal advice on that. We, haven't, we didn't even really ask the question as to whether or not um, it was permissible to be limiting um, access to women on at premium times like Saturdays. Um, but whereas the lawyers came back and said, no, look, the, the virtual handicap thing, that's fine so long as you're not discriminating on the basis of gender or race or something along those lines, that's fine. But you, you haven't asked this question about access to courses on Saturdays of women, but that's that's a problem and that's something you need to address. Mm-hmm. So that's what really started the ball rolling on this. And this is going back about four years now. There you go. Um, and moving forward, you know, we looked at how best to um, to advise clubs on what they needed to be doing and making sure that we were providing comprehensive um, advice. We ended up landing with the Australian Human Rights Commission mm. um, and we think we've produced a, a very good document that's um, that it's obviously been produced by the Human Rights Commission but has also been endorsed by the RNA. So, um, yeah, a very solid um, document for use of clubs. Now, mate, you came and visited us a couple of times last year, and it was all about January 1, 2019, which is obviously come and passed, come and gone, and uh, how we positioned, because I'm sure that Justin and Clates are going to ask you a couple of questions about the, I don't want to put words in there, so this is my word, some of the high-profile rules-making decisions that we've seen on the tours of the world this year. How's it all progressing from your perspective? Uh, look, from my perspective going into this, um, being mindful that we were rolling out probably the the biggest set of rule changes in, in at least 60 years, um, for me it was never a case of this is going to be seamless. It's just not the way that things happen with a project of this type. Um, it was what sort of problems are they, how quickly can we react um, I um, am, I think, very pleasantly surprised at, at how well things have gone. Um, talking to clubs, um, which is, which I suppose is my main concern, the 400,000 club golfers out there, mm. I think the transition is, has been really, really positive. You know, not, not entirely seamless, obviously, but I think it's been really positive. Um, have there been a few... Um, issues along the way and some high profile um, uh, talking points. Uh, yeah, they have. Um, but I think the, the positive around that is it serves to get the message out there as to as to what people need to be doing. There's, there's obviously been a few things around caddy positioning, um, but looking forward, looking at the bigger picture where there's this objective for caddies not to be so involved in lining players up, um, I think there's a really positive outcome 
there. Um, and I think we're moving forward to landing in a really good place. You're, there's obviously been a lot of changes. The one about the caddies, I mean, that's probably been one of, it was controversial when there was a few incidents at the time, but it's been one of the more successful ones. I mean, just don't line your player up. It's not hard. The dropping's been good. Um, people Players are obviously pretty resistant to coming around to doing it for whatever reason. I think that's crazy because we were talking about it out in the foyer. It's it's just a drop. Like, who cares whether you're yeah, dropping from up here? One kind of seems to think you drop, you just lower your arm and drop from the side. But if you drop, put your hand in, in bend front. Bend down a bit, yeah. Bend down, drop it in front. I mean, the best thing is that minimizes the chance of the ball plugging in the bunker when you drop, which mm. was always a, from arm, from arm, from shoulder height, the ball just would always, if you dropped in a bunker, it would always plug and it was a complete pain. But, <clears throat> um, which, which is the one, Simon, that you think hasn't gone to plan? I'll tell you one that, the, sorry, <laughs> the law of unintended consequences, talking to superintendents, the holes are getting trashed with players getting the ball out of the hole with the flag in it. In fact, I played with a woman yesterday. Mm. She said, yeah, the women are getting their jewellery stuck on the side of the hole. Mm. She, she got a, you can see the holes getting trashed around the edges because players c- carelessly go in there with their whole hand and pull it out. And that's been one of the unintended consequences of putting with mm. the wagon. Uh, that, that it, it is interesting you raise that. I, I have heard a little bit of that, and it's not just an Australian reaction. It's, it, it has occurred in other parts What's of the Australia world. Australia would be less like because the greens are harder and firmer. Think if you get mm. in the northeast of America, who haven't even played golf yet, under snow, soft greens will be it. That will be it. Well, it's just a law of unintended consequences that you mean errant hands players, will do more damage well, on a Ian soft Todd, green. The superintendent Rosebud, he says they've they've got those suction cups. They kind of pull the flag to the side, so stick I... their suction cup in to pull the ball out, and just crash oh. the hole completely. Not oh, completely, the suction cup on the top of the on putter. the top of the putter. Yeah. The blokes who can't bend down and get it out, they just. Just, it's pro- hmm. probably also hmm. worth saying that the description of trashing the hole completely is probably yeah, a little bit exaggerated. of an exaggeration. <laughs> but you can see where rings have got, jewellery's got caught in the side. You can see how that frays the edge of the hole a little bit. So, but, I mean, I think it's a really good rule to put with the flag. And, and, and I think that's right. The um, putting with the, the flag in the hole, I think it's really interesting. It's, it's interesting watching it to a level. I think it speeds play up. Yeah. Um, I think it's good for the game. Is there a a consequence there. Yeah, that there is a bit of a... Co- but I think we'll work through that. I don't see that as... And there's less damage around the hole from players having to hold the caddies, players and caddies holding flags. And That's... Yeah. When you're holding a flag from 60 foot, I mean, you never... I mean, what do you hit it at once? Hit a 500 putts, maybe mm. 100 putts. I mean, it's just... So I think it's a, it's a really good rule, that one. And the dropping from knee height's a really good rule. The ball not moving on the putting green, which hasn't come into play, it's a great rule because that was the most annoying part of for me because it happened so many times to me and everyone else, that when the ball moved through no fault of your own, mm. penalised for that was ridiculous. Simon, I've given you a hard time on this show previously. I'm actually going to give you some plaudits. I think the rules have come in really well. I think the biggest issue, from my perspective, is that the tours haven't been um, strident enough in, in enforcing the rules as they were, I guess, agreed by all parties to them beforehand. Uh, I think the tours are soft uh, in terms of enforcing things like pace of play and all sorts of aspects um, where the where the you know Dracula's got the keys to the blood bank sometimes on the tour. I think have gone actually really well. So for what that's worth, congrats. And what did you make of the? If at all, did you see Justin Thomas having a public spat with USGA about it? 
Oh, look, I, I was aware of that. Um, and as it happens, I was I was with some of these USGA guys last week. Um, but but to me, probably the, um, the the big part of that was uh, Jay Monaghan, um, USPGA Tour Chief's um, statement that, that he put out uh, towards, was in the middle of last week, I think it was, um, where he was making it clear that the US tour had played a big role um, in the design of these uh, rules, mm-hmm. um, that their their key referees had been, um, again, heavily involved in, in the actual formulation of the policy, that there was nothing in the outcome of these rules that the tour um, did not want. Um, so it's just a reminder to people that the the PGA Tour, as well as the European Tour, played a big role in um, in where these rules landed. Now, individual players, um, they'll have their views on things. Um, are they as informed as they could otherwise be? Perhaps not, but, you know, they're, they're just people. You know, I think if you put a keyboard um, in front of someone, if you put a microphone in front of someone and ask for their opinion, they'll they'll give it to you. It's not always the most informed opinion, and that's that's fine. Um, uh, it, it makes for an interesting discussion. But but as I say, Jay Monaghan getting out there and just you know making it clear that the PGA Tour was across this from start to finish, where it landed um, was was something that they were very comfortable with. It wasn't just the RNA and the USGA sitting down in isolation making rules. They consulted. Um, very widely, and the tours were a big part of that. So I don't want to get you in trouble with you know private conversations that can't be aired. But what happened in the halls of power when Hao Tong Lee got in trouble earlier in the year for his caddy and was penalised, lost his shot in the spot in the tournament, lost a heap of cash, and it sparked a furious series of responses between um, Keith Pally. Mm. And the RNA. all the way up, all the way up to the top of the RNA, uh, which is very rare that Martin Slumbers is is moved to publicly address a particular issue. What happens in the background there? Uh, look, I can guess at what was happening in the background. I, I wasn't involved in those discussions. I know a lot of those people, but I wasn't directly involved in those discussions. You're absolved. Um, I, I, you know, I, I do know for a fact that the European Tour's um, two biggest name referees, Andy McPhee and John Paramore, were very heavily involved in the formulation of, of all of these rules. Um, the alignment of the caddy rule just by its nature was a very difficult one um, to agree to a final position. It's just a very difficult um, sort of a concept to try to regulate against. There's this objective of trying to eliminate um, the caddy from being so involved um, in lining players up, but exactly how you do that, it's a little bit more problematic. Mm. Um, I think probably too, it's it's easy to get caught up in things that happen on the day or in the week and, and lose sight of um, the, the bigger picture and what's going to happen in the longer term. And I think what's going to happen in the longer term is that you will see less of caddies being so involved in lining players up. And I think that's a really positive thing. Will there be a few little incidents along the way? Well, you know, we've seen that. But as far as um, the overall image of the game is concerned, 
Um, I, I think we're headed to a very good place. And, and this rule itself was something that um, some of the tours were, were very keen to see. Clayton, have you got anything you want to throw at Simon? Well, we discussed, you and I, the, this, the backstopping rule between um, Amy Olsen and Ari Jutanagan, which they clearly broke the rule. I can't believe the LPGA didn't penalise them. I mean, Ari was clearly on her way to mark that ball and got called off by the other player, and I just can't believe that the tours won't, won't apply the rule. Ditto me. Um, that that goes to what I said before. I I'm, I think Amy Olsen could be one of the nicest people on the planet. You know, she's in the final, but it doesn't absolve does not absolve her from the fact that she has absolutely disadvantaged everyone else in the field by her actions. And no one's suggesting she cheated. They're not at all. She broke the rule. Yeah, because she didn't know the rule. But if you're a professional golfer, you better know the rules. That's Correct. Part of the deal. What what percentage, Simon, would you put on the likelihood of a rule coming in to stop backstopping, say, in the next... Well, there is a rule to stop backstopping. You can't collude. It being enforced. Well, that's another question. In your opinion. There is a rule. It's a matter of enforcing it. Yeah. Is it, is it just going to be a thing where it happens once a month and there's an incident and we all, everyone just riles up about it and gets angry and they don't actually make a yeah. move to enforce it? Or we, we, We've spoken about backstopping um, on this this program in the past um, and and the view I put at that time was that what I would really like to see is is the big tours put out a very clear communication to their players to let them know not just what the rule is but why the rule is there um, and, and what it's trying to do is to protect the whole of the field mm. that and I think the problem at the moment is that the players think the etiquette is to help your playing partner. You think they think you have to do the right thing by your playing partner at the time. The problem with that is if you're helping your playing partner, it's to the detriment of, of everyone else in mm. the field. And the rule is trying to protect the field. But the players just, I don't think they're fully aware of that. Um, and I think that needs to be corrected. And I think really that's the first step. Worrying about what the rule itself looks like and penalising players, I'm not sure that's where we really want to get to. I think we want to avoid that. Um, but can't more strident action by tours eliminate three quarters of these problems? Well, like I say, I'd like to see the tours put out a very clear communication to their players, letting them know what their obligations are around this rule and why the rule is there. And then after and that, what, do we get the, the noose? Um, I, one step at a time, I, I'd, I'd say. Um, no, in all seriousness, um, our objective is not to be throwing penalties around. It's no, it's course. to correct the behaviour. And what the LPGA um, did was the opposite of what Simon's yeah. saying they should do, effectively. Yeah, I agree. When yeah, they came out and I agree said that. Yeah, she, was for, she did it for pace of play reasons. and like When they were waiting for a ruling for Michelle Wee anyway. Yeah. I mean, imagine what had happened sure. if Moria... Jutanagar oh. and Aria had been playing, and Amy Olsen was in the clubhouse, one shot behind, mm. and Moria hits <laughs> Aria's ball and taps in for birdie to beat her by a shot. Well, Amy Olsen would rightly be outraged at that. Yeah, which is what so, Simon so said. So they don't extrapolate out. You, you can't differentiate between because it's the second round or because it. Nope. It, the, the rule's the rule. And what, the right thing is the right thing, and the wrong thing is the wrong thing. I saw a, someone suggested somewhere on Twitter or something you should just. Make the rule that you can't replace your ball if you're area Jatani gun in this yeah. instance. Which is kind of sensible, except what if they knock the ball into the hole? Or what if, you know, from 200 yards, someone, mm. and I've seen it happen, 
once. Yeah, okay. You land on the other guy's ball and knock it into the water. Yeah, true. Clearly, that's crazy. You didn't mean to. Yeah. yeah. But my argument would be that, well, incorrectly, would be that this never happened. It, in fact, did happen up until the mid-50s when they allowed you to mark your ball on the green. Mm. So backstopping was a feature of the game in the 50s. And then, they correct me if I'm wrong, they changed the rule that you could mark your ball. You couldn't well, mark your I, ball pre... You, you, pick, you peed your ball up on the tee and you picked it out of the hole and you didn't touch it in between. Yeah, the, so you didn't the, mark the ball in the greens. The, this is a bit more before my time, the, uh, the, the 50s and the 60s, <laughs> yeah. so I, I won't weigh so, into so, giving you the exact so history. So they were backstopping in the 30s because they weren't allowed to mark the ball. Mm. Once they brought in the rule you could mark your ball in the green in the mid-50s then, mm. it was never a feature of the game until this generation decided it was okay to help each other. No, As Jimmy I, Walker said, I'll decide who I help. If I like the guy, I'll help me. If I don't, I won't. No, and, and, that's, and that's right. And this issue does get a lot of attention. For, for mine, a, a much bigger issue is the whole through lines thing and players not putting out um, because they're concerned around, about stepping on the through line of their player. And, that, and that's um, the, the line of where the putt will end up when it goes beyond the hole because people are worried about... Um, putting little footprints. Imagine um, if Jeff Maggot had waited for through lines, Clates, he'd still be out there. <laughs> and, this, and this is the problem. It just wastes so much time, and, and it happens with just about every group. To, mm. to me, that whole pace of play issue is a much bigger one than um, the backstopping thing, which tends to attract a, a lot of attention. Definitely. But the pace of play is just people fooling about. If you, uh, if you told them they had four hours to finish, they'd all finish in four hours. If, you, if it was a... Every five minutes over was a one-shot penalty. Oh, that all finished in four hours. And and you know, another feature of these new rules is that the RNA and the USGA are actively advocating people playing ready golf. Um, and ready golf is something that we will start to promote more heavily in Australia. But what would I like to see at tour level? I'd love to see on the PGA Tour those players playing ready golf, um, LPGA, European yeah, yeah, Tour. That, they... that would send a great message um, to all club golfers, and I think it would make mm. golf more enjoyable. Wait till they get to the 12th hole at Augusta, and no one wants to hit because they want to see who goes first to see what the wind's <laughs> doing. And Well, plus, you know, ready, ready, yeah, look, it's great for club golf. If two guys are tied at Augusta on the, on the 15th hole, and some guy who's close to the green jumps in and whacks it on the green because he wants to put the pressure on the other player. Mm. Let's see what the reaction of that is. Yeah, it's terrific. It, it'll all make for a good talking good. point. You can, make, you make can imagine you punch can... up in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not exactly convinced that it's going to get to that point. Yeah, but, but but I think it would make the whole strategic um, discussion amongst players, caddies, etc., that little bit more interesting. There are it, circum- it, yeah. it creates these talking points, but I think in a positive way. There'll be circumstances though at par threes when players don't want to go first no, and, because and they want to if I've made five and someone's made four at the previous hole you go mate it's your honour no, it, and that's that's totally understood and there will be exceptions but in 95% of yeah, Reddit, yes, it, yeah. and, and this is not just a club golf thing you see it at, at yeah, tour level yeah. um, where a lot of time is wasted just because players are unnecessarily yeah. waiting yeah. For, um, yeah. for other players but it would send a great message to, to club players to elite amateurs um, if it was done at um, PGA Tour, European Tour, LPGA level. Um, so that's something I'd, I'd like to see. That's so, another really positive. So the 42nd recommendation, it's not a rule. No, it's just a recommendation. It gives yeah. you a guide. And, and 40 seconds is it's a, a long time. I mean, JP Holmes took, I mean, how long did he take to play some of those shots at 
Well, he took four minutes at San Diego last year, but yeah. he was atrocious in LA this year. But as, as we've documented previously, he actually budgets in his yearly financial sheets <laughs> for, a few fines. for a few fines. And, like, and, and that's fine. And, and no, I, no, I, quite, I quite like someone like – no, sorry, I don't mean to say that it's fine that he's budgeting. Right. Uh, what I mean to say is that happens. Um, but what I think is also terrific is someone like Brooks Kepka getting out there and tweeting and, and asking the question of, you know, what, what are these guys thinking? Mm. Um, and I think it's terrific that some of these, these leaders in the game um, will start to take on some of their peers. Um, I'd just like to – I'd love to see that. I do – I 100% agree. I'd just like to see the tours actually flex their muscle once in a while and, and show who's the boss and prove to the world that golf is more important than an individual. Um, yeah. Look, uh, Brooks Koepka is an interesting one. I, I have been lucky enough to, to referee him um, and you can see him getting agitated at the length of time that playing partners will mm. take. Um, I – um, yeah, I think that's a that's a positive. So yeah. th- these guys who are taking too long, um, <laughs> again, I'm not saying that's fine. What I'm saying no, is no. that's that's currently a part of the game. But um, seeing other players actively try to buy in and, and address that yeah. and to correct it, I think is is terrific. When you were there, did you talk about the um, the Lucy Lee case? Did that come up about the Lucy Lee who did the Apple advertisement for apparently no money, but which, which makes it incredibly silly if they're doing a, something that's probably worth $500,000 in, in the real world to do it for free. But did that come up? Uh, and, and how the kind of rules of amateur status are getting flaunted more and more? I think most people will be very unfamiliar with the whole Lucy Lee discussion. Um, some people who are... Our Inside the Ropes audience is very learned, Simon. Yeah, look, some people who are very keen (laughs) followers of of the game will have an awareness of of Lucy Lee. What I I would say is that um, we've just worked through a a fundamental review of the rules of golf with a view to modernising them. Um, Another key element around whole rules and regulations is, is handicapping. Um, we're just about to release a, a world handicap system, which is again around a big modernisation of, of a key part of the games, uh, of the game of golf. Um, and then the next step will be amateur status, um, and again looking to um, embark upon a modernisation of rules of amateur status. And a lot of th- these things will get looked at as a part of that discussion. And the, the Lucy Lee thing will obviously um, be a part of that. I think that might be half the frustration that people have with the rule changes that have, like people, fans watching golf, with the rule changes that have happened this year. A lot of them, I mean, I feel like a lot of them are largely inconsequential and they didn't address slow play and they didn't address the ball. Obviously, there's different times to do that stuff, but I feel like people just are so frustrated with the pace of play. JB Holmes taking three minutes to hit a shot. There was a video of another player, an Australian player, taking two minutes to hit a putt yesterday, as the commentators were talking about. Oh, Aaron, was it Badley? Yeah. Badley. I mean, everyone thinks Aaron Badley's a fast putter. He's fast once he gets over the ball. The commentator said, I love like, the way he putts, he's so quick, and he took two minutes to hit a putt. It was just <laughs> atrocious, wasn't it? And I just feel like, and like, for me, ready golf is, a lot of people play ready golf at club level, and ready golf isn't JB Holmes, like, playing out of turn and then still taking two minutes. Like, make him take 40 seconds, and I feel like ready golf, I don't know, just doesn't, 
It's not going to solve the problem. I, I, what I guess I'd say on that one is I think it's easy to get caught up with what's happening at tour level. Yeah. Um, to me, what's more important is what's happening with the 400,000 mm. club golfers out there rather than, um, you know, a few hundred that we watch on TV. Mm. I, I'd love to see what's happening on TV um, get quicker and there are clearly some... Um, some activities there that could be improved. But but what I keep hearing from clubs is that these rule changes have been really positive and they've had a positive impact on pace of play. Um, so I think that's that's yeah. good. And penalty areas going well at Clubland? Uh, penalty areas that, you know, what you're referring to there is now this capacity for clubs to, to mark um, non-water areas um, in the same way as, as water hazards previously were marked. And so they're, they're all now called penalty areas. Um, some clubs have gone down this route. I think a lot of others are probably looking to see what um, fellow clubs are doing. Um, you'll see a lot more of it in future. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a positive thing, and it'll it'll imp- it'll have a positive impact on pace of play. But it will make the game more enjoyable for those people who hit their ball into heavily roughed area that otherwise were having to go in, look, and then mm. go back to the two so or whatever. Playing at Bamboogle. Everything would be a penalty area, in theory. Uh, Everything if, off the fairway if the, in, in the marum grass is a penalty area. If the if the facility <coughs> wanted to mark it yeah. that way, they could. That's that's yeah. clearly an option. Yeah, that's how Bumbugle's been played for the for it. Well, they've always played that way. Yeah, like, and well, that's, they that's the right. Irish drop. I think is it the Irish drop they call it. I think, but yeah, you just rather than play provisional, you just drop out to the side and play yeah. your fourth shot from. from yeah. Yeah. But Bumbugle's not a. Club member, of course, there's no formal no. competition golf at Bamboogle, so that Richard doesn't worry about it at all. Really, he doesn't care. And that's all. That's a pace of play thing, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's pace of play, but it's also user experience. Yeah, absolutely. As far as getting people to come back, they're going to enjoy the experience a lot more um, if they're just able to drop out to the side. And a few and, less. And golf generally, that's that's what we want. We want people to be enjoying their game more. So that's what a lot of these changes are geared towards. Absolutely, and a few less Joe Blake's nipping at your ankles. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, particularly down there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. Simon, a treat as always. I'm going to just got to commit two more minutes to reading out your title again. The Golf Australia <laughs> Senior Management, Senior Manager, Play Management and Regulations. I'm not sure how you get a business card to fit that all in, but thank you for fitting us in. Always appreciate you sharing some uh, some of your knowledge with the Inside the Ropes audience. Hazy, I am always delighted to um, to share the same space with you. <laughs> we'll take a break and come back with our third segment. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, always great to have Simon Magdorsky join us. He knows he's forgotten more about rules than I've ever known, Justin, so it's, it's embarrassing to actually talk to him, to be honest, because uh, I've got nothing. I'm right there with you. Uh, he, he was the forerunner to, um, I'm not sure if he went down to Riversdale this week. 
um, Clates? I didn't go to Riverstyle. I, it's one of the first ones I haven't gone to for a long time. But I should have gone because there were two Metro guys there. Aiden Dadoni and Blake Collier. Blake Collier and they were pipped. Both lost by a shot to a Queenslander. Yeah. Um, Imagine losing to a Queenslander at Riversdale. What's that about? <laughs> Hello to all our audience up on the <laughs> Sunshine Coast there. Another not, a, not a Queensland friendly course, you would say, would you? Kind of. No, but um, I think that Grant Field, who's the coach of the winner, and we haven't even mentioned his name, but Chris Crabtree was the me- winner of the men's uh, Riversdale crown. And we'll come back to her also. Yuna Nishimura was the winner of the women's crown. Grant Field, who's the coach of Cameron Smith, is also the coach of Chris Crabtree, and I think he's all about making games winnable around the world. So I think uh, Chris Crabtree is a fine young talent. Well, it's a short course, so if he's taught Chris Crabtree to play wedges like he's taught Cameron Smith to play wedges and Cameron Smith's figured out how to play wedges, then you can take Riversdale apart with a wedge. So Chris Crabtree is a big strapping bloke. He's had a few injuries um, in the last couple of years, um, one that derailed him completely for the Interstate Series last year from memory. Uh, but he's he's a big unit, um, born in England, but he's very much Australian. Um, I'm surprised it's taken him this long to have a breakthrough win at this level. He's that talented. So hopefully it falls into place for him mentally as much as anything because he's been knocking on the door barring injuries for a while. So fantastic to see him make a, a clutch birdie putt on the last to beat Aiden and Blake. I thought you were going to say something no, again. No, right. So no. that was a, gr- a great result out at Riversdale, one of the great tournaments on the National Ranking Series. Yuna Nishimura, who was the runner-up at the original WARP, Clates, the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific. Okay, right. Uh, she's going to go back there and play this year. She's graduated out of the Japan uh, national squad, um, so she's basically a pro in waiting. Uh, blitz the field. She won by three or four shots. Um, very impressive. Steph Bunky was thereabouts on the last before the last day, but uh, Yunnan Nishimura. Um, Dave Michaluzzi catting for her. What's that about? Catting for Steph? Yeah. Well, it's an interesting point. This I was I was not, not going to raise this, but seeing you've taken us down this little rabbit hole, let's go there. I understand <laughs> that Dave Michaluzzi didn't play because he was talking about world rankings yeah, points, which is just bizarre to me. Why you wouldn't play one of the best tournaments? And most historic tournaments in the country because you're worried about your world amateur ranking. So he, I don't get that. So I mean, if he was to finish second or worse, he would have potentially lost points. Yeah. So, so well, that's I'm just giving you his thinking. It can't be that. Is it that important? The world amateur ranking. What's, he's he's hell bent on his world amateur <coughs> ranking, Dave. He's really. So what's the what's the world amateur ranking going to do for his career? The top fifty get in the US amateur. Maybe if he's the number one ranked player in the world, he might sign a contract with someone for more money than if he was the. But. That's, I think that's that, the goal. He wants to get to number one. Yeah. I think it's partly that, Clates. Um, it's almost like being the number one draft pick in the NBA or the NFL or, for that matter, the AFL these days. You get more money if you're number one than you do if you're number two. And um, I'm not sure that that's entirely the reason, but I do think more doors will open for him if he's number one as opposed to number three or four. So you just avoid playing the best time in the country? Cause well, I'm I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm, I'm sort of the um, opinion that you should – stump up and put your you know credentials on the line whenever you can so you can learn as much as you can for when you do go pro. I mean, you may as well be pro if he's just sitting there protecting that, in my opinion, but... You yeah, know, no, he, does he, anyone really care about the World Amateur Ranking? It's going to have almost no effect on your career as a pro. No, but he does right <clears> now. <throat> so Yeah, I think he'd be better off playing Riversdale and trying to win. winning the tournament. Yeah. No, I definitely think winning... Right. Uh, uh, to me... Um, 
we spoke earlier about Justin Harding. He's figured out how to win. Um, Zach Murray has figured out how to win. It's going to come in a lot more handy when you're a pro, when you know how to get over the line on a tight Sunday, I would have thought. Yeah, and it's a great tournament to win. It, it is. does a tremendous tournament. I mean, yeah. He hasn't won it before, I assume, has he? Uh, no, I don't no, think well, he has. I stand to be corrected, but I don't think he has. Uh, the Women's New South Wales Open was played at Queanbeyan at, at the weekend, or finished at the weekend. Uh, fantastic winner in, in Megan McLaren uh, defended her crown that she won last year. Uh, four really quality rounds, including a 69 to close to blank the field. She was 12 under uh, in total and three clear of Lynn Carlson and Munchen Kay, the impressive young New Zealander. Um, good, good week for New Zealand golf. Really good week for New Zealand golf, and we'll come to that in a minute, maybe Go when on, you sorry. when you are when you're up and about. Megan McLaren, um, I don't. She's a, obviously a two-time winner uh, in Australia now, uh, ALPG member despite being English. Um, she's not going to get rich and famous winning ALPG events, but she's turning into a really good player. Clayton. is that a European tour event, LET event? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah. Um, it's so she's done well there. I mean, she's. I don't know. Oh, oh, this is really harsh because she's a really good golfer, but she's arguably better known for her social stance and her blogs and things than yeah, her, her blog golf. Is great. Her blog, her is, blog really is world class, you know, and it points out issues in golf and particularly for women's golf, but generally. And it, it, she's a really lovely human being. So I'm really happy to see Megan salute. Um, I hope that she can push that into something that's did even bigger. And Van Dam play there. Uh, that's a good question. I, don't think I could. She, did. she she won the previous week. She won in Canberra. She's incredibly impressive looking she, player. She is a a wow. beast of a ball striker, isn't she? Yeah, she's really good. She either seems like she either plays really well or not so well. But uh, well, I'm screaming. She, she's one of the more impressive women ever to play golf in terms of physically? what she does when she hits it. Yeah, yeah. She's yet to kind of prove that so much on the golf course, but. I've had a quick scan down the the. If she's not in the top four, she didn't play because there's no I don't think she, she didn't finished. That's so sort of fourth in that field. Yeah. So just quick running down of some names in that event. Valdis Jonsdotter from Iceland shot a 63 at Queanbeyan to start the tournament. And was in, in a on a day of nice scoring to start, but a 63, unfortunately faded out. Um, but some reasonably impressive performances from Whitney Hillier, bar a second round 76. She went 69, 76, 67, 68 to finish uh, in its tie for 10th. And Rebecca Artis um, finally shot a good score. And I know that probably sounds a bit harsh, but she's had such a wretched summer. Uh, and she got it together with a 67 to start and 70, 70, and then faded with a 74. But finally, um, justification for all her hard efforts. So good on you, Beck, And we look forward to seeing you uh, back in the groove soon. Cassie Porter and Izzy Taylor, two more Queensland amateurs. I was about to say, just because Clades gave them a huge drive by earlier, we should probably bump them up a little bit here. Yeah. Cassie Porter, who's really impressive young player. Clades, another one from the Sunshine Coast. Uh, and Izzy Taylor, uh, also from Queensland. Eight solid rounds between them. The worst they actually shot in their or Izzy had a second round 73, and Cassie closed with a pair of 72s to finish... Um, even par there. Other than that, just really solid golf. 34th for Izzy and 26th for Cassie. Well played. Unfortunately, an 80 to close for Grace Kim when she was in a better spot than that. Um, and Sarah Kemp probably, it all came, probably got a bit too much for her. She's had a busy few weeks and finished with a 75. Still finished tied 31st, but uh, I don't think she'll care too she much about that. She had a great summer. She has uh, resurrected her career at the Vic Open. Yeah, thanks to 
Teresa Lou missing the yeah making the triple <laughs> bogey and letting all the one overs in or yeah sixty five finished second made hundred grand and away she goes back on the LPGA yeah so she's just got to wait until May basically for the reshuffle on the LPGA tour and she'll be away for the rest of the year and of course for season twenty twenty now Clates um, Justin and I had the distinct pleasure of being in uh, back in Adelaide at Glenelg Golf Club last week for the Queen Syracuse Cup. The Koreans won by 16. And you told me, uh, we were just conversing on the phone, not on the air anywhere, that you thought Korea would win handsomely. And I said, you know, I don't think so, Clates. I think Japan's got going to get the chocolates. Well, if Korea turn up and, uh, and they don't turn up if they're not serious, Korea win. I, I mean, I feel stupid because the, the Japanese girls didn't have their best stuff. They just didn't. Um, but, Justin, we watched a clinic, a dead set clinic from the young Korean girls, none of whom had ever played internationally for Korea before. It was, the, as far as the actual tournament goes, it was almost over by the second morning. Mm-hmm. Um it was, almost, it was over before they teed off. Come on, everyone knows, I think they were five, everyone knows Korea's <laughs> going to win. They were five ahead after one day, and then the Aussie girls struggled a bit in the first morning. A couple of bad scores early, dropped us back, and then it was it was effectively over. And even everyone, by the second afternoon, we were talking to all the players, and they were all kind of just like, we're chasing for second here. Did the girl is... who won the Australian amateur play? No, she didn't. No, because she wasn't good enough to play on the team or because... She's not part of the elite She's mix not, yet. Yeah. Yeah. And how good was she? Yeah, well, that's, that's, um, yeah, was it Amy? Uh, I'm trying to think of her name. Hoon. Yayun Hoon. Yeah. Yeah. Yayun Hong. Hong. Yeah. Amy Hong. Amy Hong. That's great. Yeah. And Min Yoon as well came out here and won three times over the summer. But it she shows what happens when golf in a country is the number one choice for the best athletes in that country. Yeah. Yeah. So if golf had, a, had the pick of the best female athletes in Australia, we'd be great at it. And the cons- but Korea has that. That's the number one above the equivalent of netball, basketball, athletics, swimming, running, whatever they do, AFL, soccer, cricket, all the games that they play instead of golf in Australia. They play golf in Korea. That's why they're so good at it. And I, uh, this, without mentioning the countries, I won't get the people in trouble. And it's not in trouble, but it wasn't Australia. But we'll say a couple of coaches from other teams basically said, if Korea were to pick their fourth, fifth, and sixth players, or seventh, eighth, and ninth players, and field three teams, that'd be first, second, and third. First, second, Absolutely. and third, yeah, which is what they were on the individual leaderboard. Yeah, um, one, two, and three. That I mean, it was it was a dead set clinic. Huge shout! Do you, you can go through the results if you like, just briefly with the, with the with the names of the players and the scores, and and just give credit to the Australians for running which, running second. What we're talking about world amateur rankings. Yeah, there are no Korean. Correct me if I'm wrong. There are no Korean women in the world amateur rankings. Well, they don't play that stuff. That, that's correct. They come out. They're the best players in the world, but they, they show how irrelevant the world amateur female rankings are. Yeah. Because they just stay at home and then they come out in the tour and they dominate. Correct. With great technique and incredible discipline. And- well, those those world amateur rankings, um, especially the women's, are very much skewed to the collegiate system in the United States. So, you know, yeah. not that Leona Maguire is not a bad player, but she was on top for, you know, two and a half years yeah. based on her collegiate scores. Yeah. Um, I'd, not, not I, in the I, race. I, not in the race. Well, she wouldn't. She wouldn't play in the – well, she might now. Be touch and go. Those Korean girls were so good. They were one 16-year-old, two 17-year-olds. Yeah. Um, I just want to – before Justin goes through the actual details, massive shout to the Glenelg Golf Club. Yep. Uh, at the end of a long, hot summer, um, just as the Grange was a couple of weeks previously in South Australia, Glenelg was mint. 
Like it was absolutely picture perfect. It was produced in a brilliant manner. I think Tim, I'm f- sorry if I've got your name wrong, Tim, but I think Tim and his ground staff uh, were just, I mean, a massive pat on the back uh, after some big 47 degree days to get that course looking so good. Mate, if you want to just in- indulge us. Yeah, well, as far as the teams goes, Korea won by a fair bit. Um, they finished at 17 under. Um, so it was three players for each team and the two best scores counted each day. Um so Australia finished second, which they were obviously happy with, but also not happy to be that far behind. But um, maybe that's a testament. We talked about it a bit. It's They've come second of all those nations in the region, and we're kind of not super thrilled, but mm. maybe that is a pretty good effort. We're at one under. Uh, China, two over. Thailand, three over. And New Zealand were five over. Japan, six over. So that wasn't their best performance. We thought they'd be a bit further up there, but they were good. But as we said, the three Korean girls, Urjin So. Yibin Son and Yewon Lee were one, two, and three. How's that? Was that pretty? That good? was pretty good from you. We've been practicing all week, me yeah. and Aisy. We got the. We got some big pronunciation so lessons. The question is, when the Australian women play the Riversdale Cup, I wasn't out there, so I'm not sure where they play from. I assume they play from the women's tees, which I unfairly call grandmother's tees because that's literally <laughs> what they're built for. They're built for. Club golf. Yeah. If we ever want to be any good at women's golf, they need to get back. And they should be – Riversdale's a short enough course that if we've got any decent players – and those Korean girls who won in Glenelg, they could play off the men's tees at the Riversdale Cup and break par. That's what a lot of the and girls if, kept saying. We they're ever just so want, long. If we ever want to be any good at golf, women's golf, we need to start stretching them out and making them play better. And if they shoot 85, they shoot 85. Oh, well, you, but we're never going to get any better playing 5,000 – 500-meter courses because you don't have to be any good to get around in 72 and think you're a decent player. I'm, I'm all for that. Let's, yeah. That's a crusade. We're on a few crusades this year. Let's let's make that one of them. Um, Mind you, I have to mention Michelle. <laughs> I caddy for Michelle Huey in Pennant, the first round of Pennant. Very fu- the funny, One of the funniest things I've seen on the golf course, two women in the bunker, Michelle in a terrible lie, bladed it over the back into the tea tree at the third at Metro and never hit another shot and won the hole. How does that happen? Well, the other player takes six in the bunker and just says, pick it up. <laughs> Michelle plucks the ball out of the unplugged ball and goes to 14. <laughs> <laughs> that is magnificent. Win by default. But, you know, Division Two pennant, the standard's not great. But at the top <laughs> level of golf in Australia, if we ever want to compete with the Koreans, we're never going to do it playing off women's tees. Well, I think you know, we, they need to get back 6,000 metres minimum and learn how to play. We need really we need to adjust our thinking on the in the women's game to to rival Korea because we were as good as our girls were last week. They're not in the same conversation in a, in a repeatable sense. And as, we haven't as had, the we haven't had anyone in the final of the Australian Amateur for four years. You know, it's been a while on the women's side. Hannah Green made the semi final, I think, a couple of years ago. Hannah, she's a tremendous player. She's, Very good. She's <laughs> one of our best players and was a great amateur. Yeah, but none of these girls are going to get any better playing this Mickey Mouse pitch and putt stuff and, and shooting good scores and thinking they're good players when they're not. Not relative to world-class players that the Koreans show time after time that how good they are. They are immense. So just rushing up brushing up uh, the Australian scores there. Yeah, Steph Kiriakou finished outright fifth. She was at one under, so the Koreans were eight, six, and four under. So Steph was really good this week. She It all sort of came unstuck on her first hole of the second round. She had a triple on the 10th at Glenelg. Um and save for that, we sort of went through her numbers and said, if you took that out, give her a par or a bogey, and she would have been right up there in the individual. So she was really good this week. Doi Choi was one shot back from her. She was even par. 
75, 70, and 74. And Jules, who came over from the US, she's at Oklahoma. Um, she, yeah, she just Jul- didn't have her best stuff. And That's Julianne Sue? Julianne Sue, yep. Sorry. She was, um, she was plugging away, but she couldn't get it done. So she was disappointed, but she gave her absolute all, absolute all. And yeah, she had a tough week, but team's golf and no one knows that better than her being from college. So And bigger fish to fry for her in a personal sense coming up because she's got that chance to the uh, so, Augusta National Women's Amateur Clates. So. How many Koreans are playing in the Augusta National Women's Amateur? I would imagine the Not big many. Roy Orbison. I, no. can't, I can't imagine. Which kind of shows what a, it'll be showcases. This is the biggest, most important women's amateur tournament in the world and there are none of the best players there. Yeah, we actually, I don't know if you've got your online there. You can go down and find when the first Korean women's amateur player is in the world amateur golf rankings, just to prove Clay's point. Um, the KLPGA, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. Um, this is a, a, a good talking point. The KLPGA players who are, you know, very competitive domestically, Jin Young Ko, Jung and Lee Six, um, Hyung Kung Park, yeah. or, or they all come out and just go bang and, and win instantly and become world number one in Park's instance on the LPGA yeah. Tour. Um, you know, they just come out in dribs and drabs. They don't come out en masse. Otherwise, we may not have an LPGA yeah, Tour saw, as it stands. I saw Stacey Peters on the range at Adelaide on Thursday morning. Come over here, Stace. And I pointed at Jin Young Ko and J Lee Six, like yeah. five players apart in the range. I said, look at these two swings. I'd seen Jin Young Ko play before. I hadn't seen Lee Six play before. Yep. Like just flawless techniques, just ripping the ball down. This is how you play golf. This is golf played properly. Yep. Beautiful technique, great strikers. And of course, they both played really well that week. You know, that's how you, you know, that's proper amateur golf. <clears throat> yep. so, sorry, proper women's golf. And proper women's golf is proper golf. Top level is really good. Yeah, it's proper golf. Yeah. Two Koreans in the top 60 in the women's amateur rankings. Yeah, which just That's, shows what a fast amateur rankings are. That is sort of laughable because <clears throat> I remember last week we were talking, there were, I think there were 39 uh, women from Korea in the top 100 of the world rankings. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it just goes on through it, you know, at a similar percentage rate through the top 200 and through the top 500. It's just an extraordinary, it was 140 Korean women, I think it was from memory. Uh, in the top 500 in the world rankings. It's, it's not relatable, but it shows to me what the silliness of Dave Michaluzzi's argument that the Korean women clearly don't give a damn about the world amateur rankings. Mm. And they're clearly the best players in the world by a stretch. It's demonstrable that they're the best um, at, at any level right now. No, those three. Are, and, and they're not getting better by not playing golf tournaments. No, that's true. Um, and they play a lot. It's just domestically and we don't see it. Um, mm. and they were delightful. Um Big shout out to all the, the teams involved there, though. We had, Justin did some great videos with them, um, just some really classy young women. Regardless of their grasp on English, that'll come. Um, really impressive to deal with. How many players there? 42. Well, so, 41. So why don't they have a concurrent men's event, the equivalent <laughs> men's we event? We talked about that, and I think it'd be a great idea. Yeah, look, there's some incongruent things that happen, Clayton, still, and we will... It would be a great men's event. It would be awesome, Tremendous. men's and women's combined. It would yeah, be so good. That's the level where we can make things, make changes to things, I believe, without too much hassle. It's hard work to change, as we've discussed, the Australian Open to whatever it may or could be or wanted to be or whatever. But those would be tricky, calling it the Queen's Circuit Cup and having men playing, wouldn't it? Uh, was, there a king, was there a king circuit or... I'm not sure, no. to be honest. Uh, we, we could we could ring the, we could ring the queen and ask her. If she, <laughs> ask, ask the queen if she minded if yeah. we <laughs> would the king mind if 
<laughs> if we added a few blokes to the fray. Uh, look, that's about it. We're starting to get pretty loose. It's always a pretty good sign that we should probably wind it up. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. That's episode 93 of Inside the Ropes. Justin Falconer, you've been outstanding. You've been better, Mark. Clates, um, there's a phone call from you from Augusta no. National coming, <laughs> oh, yeah. so I'm not yeah. sure whether they're going to be too happy with In you. The but... Queensland premier. <laughs> In the Queensland Premier. <laughs> so just two phone calls from you, so you've done pretty yeah, well. I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Good average for you. And, and Amy Olsen. And Amy Olsen, so there's three. I forgot and, and that one. Jimmy Walker. Oh, yeah. that's just bog standard. Yeah, bog we go, standard. Jimmy Walker goes without saying. I think Jimmy's blocked your number. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. We'll, uh, we'll come back to you. Hopefully Andy Marr will be in the driver's seat next week, and we'll come back for episode 94.